0: This is your Polycast for Monday, April 13th, your daily check-in on Minnesota politics. I'm Mike Mulcahy for NPR News. On today's edition, the Minnesota Legislature returns this week, and counting Latinos in the census in the age of COVID-19. The state legislature does come back to a more regular routine this week, at least as regular as any institution in the coronavirus era. More committees will meet using the Internet, and another COVID-19 package will get a vote. About a month remains in the 2020 session, but the priorities have definitely shifted. Kathy Werzer talked to Brian Bax this morning about what's coming up.
1: You'll recall that the legislature has already passed three bills with financial help for health providers, first responders, and small businesses This one is a bit more policy-focused. Some of the things it covers are more flexibility for those with commercial driver's licenses and extra latitude for the court system given that many hearings have been on hold. It would give couples the ability to obtain marriage licenses by mail, fax, or electronic methods rather than requiring in-person appearances. A moratorium on new hospital construction would be eased as temporary facilities are brought online. It would assure coronavirus care for people on public health insurance programs, Farmer-lender mediation time periods would be stretched out by up to 60 days. Technical things like that.
0: Okay, uh, let me ask you about the tensions that emerged last week between legislative Republicans and the governor over his stay-at-home order. Are they indicative of a deeper strategy fight to come?
1: This broke into public view on Thursday in a big way. Just before one of Governor Walz's daily press briefings, Republican Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka tweeted out, his objections to what he called the unilateral decisions by Walls to stretch out the stay-at-home order through early May. Uh, Gazelka says a more tailored approach would have been better. Walls shot back that he's not about to go on hunches. Uh, So behind the scenes, there's growing Republican discomfort with the number of actions Walls is taking through executive order. The legislature could overrule the governor with a vote by both chambers, which is unlikely given that the DFL controls the House. But I'll be watching to see if Republicans craft resolutions or start making other moves to dissent symbolically or question the legitimacy of the wall's directives.
0: How does the final month of session look right now?
1: Uh, The session is set to end on May 18th, but there's no telling when or if the legislature can gather in typical fashion. And by that, I mean all lawmakers on the respective floors and several major bills churning along at once. When I spoke with him last week, Senate Leader Gazelka said the agenda was upended. Now he's got a three-part test for which bills still get attention. Does it aid in the COVID-19 fight? Would it help fix economic damage by propping up small businesses? And
0: If it costs more money right now, I'm telling our folks I don't think we should be doing it because of the likely huge budget deficit uh, next year.
1: House Speaker Melissa Hortman says it's too soon to get the legislature back to full speed. She expects the remote hearings and consensus-only consideration of bills on the floor to continue for the time being.
0: There aren't other
1: reasons that are good enough to be there right now. Um, scoring political points, showing where we stand on things, we can do things like that via Zoom press conference. Then calling the staff and the members into the building, putting them at some risk, is only warranted when we're passing a bill that will become law.
0: Say, Brian, is a construction borrowing bill, a bonding bill, still a part of this overall equation?
1: It is. Both Hortman and Gazelka say it could be seen as a state-level stimulus initiative. As you know, the state sells bonds to pay for a range of public infrastructure projects. The key questions have always been, how big does it get? A billion dollars? Two billion dollars? And what's the mix of projects? That bill is trickier to put together and pass and Horman raised the idea that it might have to be completed in a special session if the health crisis doesn't settle down by the constitutional adjournment date. It remind us, too, uh, will the emergency insulin bill come up for a vote? It should hit both floors tomorrow. The bill establishes both a short-term and long-term insulin safety net program to help people whose life-saving medication is running short. They'd be able to access emergency supplies with a copay, Uh, Drug manufacturers that fail to make affordable medicine available for the program would face steep fines.
0: Brian Bax talking to Kathy Werzer. For weeks, community groups in Minnesota had been reaching out to members of the state's Latino community to make sure every person is counted in the 2020 census. Fear, mistrust, and poverty have long been barriers, and the COVID-19 crisis isn't making things easier. Community groups are now pivoting their efforts to virtual spaces in hopes of ensuring an accurate count of Latino Minnesotans. Reham Fashir has the story.
2: There are an estimated 300,000 Hispanics in Minnesota. But that number could be higher if everyone in this hard-to-count population participates in this year's census. That's why Camila Mercado Kelly spends her days taking phone calls about the census and helping folks fill out their forms. Once in a while, she gets on Facebook Live for a presentation. Minnesota could lose a seat in the U.S. House if the 2020 census shows a decline in population, and she tells her audience that it's important for them to participate. Mercado Micheli is a project manager at Clues, a St. Paul nonprofit that works extensively with the Latino community. She says census outreach events aim to help Latinos in Minnesota understand the importance of the census. We tell them that their participation ensures benefits for our communities. And in doing that, we are providing a voice and we're being transparent of who we are and we're here, that we exist. But some Latinos remain hesitant to participate. That's in part because the Trump administration had proposed to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. It's not on the final form, but Hugo Biudo, a pastor at Living Word Christian Center in Brooklyn Park, says his congregation is still worried about it.
1: Yeah, especially the question about the if you are uh, <clears throat> or legal or not legal or, or you are U.S. citizen. They don't know now that they, you don't have to. There is not that question in there, so.
2: Immigration lawyer Patricia Perez Jenkins says a lot of folks want to know if their information will be shared with immigration officials. She tells them that there are many people who are here legally who aren't citizens, like green card holders or people on student visas, and they are counted the same way. Because just because you're not a citizen doesn't mean you don't have status, and it doesn't mean that you're not here. So I was letting them know it's like it's a very tiny question when you actually think about who's here. But fear of deportation lingers, and people routinely ask how they'd know if the person knocking on their door is a U.S. Census Bureau worker or a Homeland Security officer. The Census Bureau has adjusted their operation plans this year due to COVID-19. But as of now, it still plans to send out census takers at the end of May. And the Bureau is promoting the questionnaire through Spanish-language PSAs. Advocates say people should fill out the census questionnaire online or by mail so that a census taker won't have to come to their door. They add that people don't even have to put down a name and that they can just note race and ethnicity. But that's another question that can be complicated for some. Research shows that many Latinos may not accurately explain their identity on the census. In the 2010 census, most Hispanics identified as either white or some other race, according to the Census Bureau. That's because the standard race question of white, black, American Indian, Asian American, and Native Hawaiian doesn't necessarily capture Hispanic identity, says Ana Gonzalez-Barrera, a researcher with the Pew Research Center. So if you are a Latino from California and you consider yourself to, to be mestizo, also mixed race, but you are asked about your races in the standard category, you might not find yourself there. This year, the Census Bureau hopes to get an accurate count of these racial identities by allowing people to write a description of their origin under the race question. Camila Mercado-Micheli of Clues uses herself as an example. She tells community members that as a Puerto Rican, she identifies as Afro-Latina. Her boyfriend's family is Mayan from Guatemala, so he'd have to note his origin on the census. Now that the census count is in full swing, Clues is urging folks to call them for help filling out the census forms. Rehan Fisher, NPR News.
0: And that's your Polycast for this Monday, your daily check-in on Minnesota politics. I'm Mike Mulcahy for NPR News.